Welcome to Data Myths Podcast with your hosts, Brian and Melinda Gagnon. So, a little about us. I'm interested in how tech helps us improve our lives. I have 20 years experience in digital communications. I'm an ex-Googler and now help launch new companies and products. And I've spent 20 plus years evangelizing tech at some of the world's largest companies. Whether you're a datafile or a dataphobe, we have something for you on this podcast. So get ready. Let's go. Hey, Melinda, how you doing this morning? Hey, Brian, I'm doing great. How about you? Feeling a little rusty. It's been uh, two weeks since our last podcast because we did a little travel in there. Yeah, and we weren't trying to miss a week. So we ha- actually, this is the second time that we've recorded this podcast. So we did a a wonderful live from South by podcast that what we recorded four minutes of it. Yeah, I, <laughs> I apparently hit the wrong Oops. button, so it happens. You That's know, all right. I was that person on the on the conference call on mute. You know, oh, sorry, I was on mute. I just gave my dissertation. We were on mute for like forty minutes. Yeah. So, what are we going to talk about today? So, so what we're talking about today is basically what we are thinking about when we meet new startups and what we look for in startups. So this is, you know, on our mind because of just coming away from South by Southwest. The primary reason that we are interested in going there is because it is such a great place to see and meet great new startups. There's a lot of pitch competitions going on. So I went for the barbecue. I don't, (laughs) I don't really know what you're talking about. That was pretty amazing. Yeah. I did get a talking to because I, I came down with a with a cold while I was there. Bummer. And going into the barbecue joint, I was just like, oh, I don't know if I can handle this. But, I, you know, got to do it because you can't walk away from Austin, Texas without having like awesome barbecue. And I'm like, can I just have some chicken? And the guy looks at me. He's like, where are you from? Like Maine. You can't come all the way here and order chicken. I'm like, yeah, no, you're you're totally right. He, <laughs> so he, he said put it me in my place. <laughs> he said it. I was thinking it, but I was like, "No, you look great with the piece <laughs> of chicken. Like, get the chicken." So yeah, no, it was yeah, pretty awesome barbecue. All right, well, let's dive it. I mean, let's let's talk all things startups today. So not totally data and technology, but it's definitely the birthplace, right? So. Well, yeah, I mean, innovation doesn't happen unless you have uh, new companies, new ideas happening, and. You know, I think it totally is data and tech related because you can't have a great business today without having data and tech elements. I mean, even if you don't have a quote unquote tech company, you still need to use data and tech. So that's just the world we live in. So I I don't think we can ever strip ourselves away from that. So if we think about South by and kind of how we go about sussing out, you know, who we want to talk to. What I really like to do, for example, is read through the list of who's who, who's going to be there. And I always like to reach out to my favorites or what I think might be my, my favorites. Yeah. So you, you do, never know. You do the work up front kind of. Yeah, I do. And I reach out and I get some meetings scheduled and that lets me know, okay, I've, I've got the the kind of first tier done. Now the rest of the experience is the serendipity. 
you know, you show up to pitch competitions, you show up to startup networking events, and you just talk to people. And that's what's so fantastic about having a concentration of innovative, smart, you know, go-getters like, you know, like South by Southwest because you just don't know who you're going to meet. Right. And it was kind of fun too because, you know, just because we're married uh, and obviously spend quite a bit of our business lives together now, uh, we both had very diverging paths. So where you were out at some of these pitch competitions, I was at yet other pitch competitions. I don't do it necessarily how you do it in that I kind of go to the pitch competition, flip through the, you know, the, uh, the booklet of all the different startups and then kind of figure out, okay, cool, which one's interesting inside of that competition. So, you know, we both had a, had our methods and met some really great people along the way, which was fun. Yeah. So when you're starting to pour through who's who, what catches your eye? Things that catch my eye are companies that are actually solving a problem. And if I see AI, blockchain, machine learning, Tesla, Uber of things. Airbnb. Airbnb. Got to get them in there too. <laughs> I start to drone out a little bit because that, you know, is is a little overplayed. So I want to make sure that, okay, that's great. You're saying all those things, but let's let's uh, let's wind it back a little bit and see what you're really trying to solve. And is it truly unique? What size is the market of that? And what's the competition look like? Yeah. Yeah. Traditional I, things, right? <laughs> right. No, that, that, that totally makes sense. And, you know, I also want to do it, do a quick mention because we work with a great team at Uprise Partners who helps to produce this podcast every, every week and supports it. And Uprise is in the business of launching companies and products. Uh, Brian and I are, are co-founders of Uprise. And really, it's all about helping a company or a team get into the market with something and really achieve fast growth. So whether that's you know, helping to secure funding, finding that right match, coaching on how to operationalize and, and blow something out, and then going to market and, and reaching the target that you really need. So uh, so wanted to, to give that team a, a thanks. Nice. Yeah. Thank you, team. So let's let's dig in maybe a little bit more too, right? So pitch competitions. So we've talked about sort of our methodology, how we find, you know, where we want to go. What's what's the best pitch that you've seen? You know, without naming names, but you know, can you give me an example of the one that you saw that was just awesome and you know what Kung Fu did they use to kind of excite you? Yeah. So first off, a a pitch competition is really like, like a professional sporting event. (laughs) I find it very, it's exciting. It's intense. You know, the people who are presenting, it's just, it's like they're walking out on the field at the Super Bowl. I mean, it's, it's really very exhilarating. So if anyone's just not familiar with this format, I highly encourage you to, to check out a pitch competition and even if it's, you know, you're not in the space, meaning you're not thinking of starting a business yourself, you're not thinking of investing, anything like that, it's just really amazing to see people perform under pressure, under really tight 
time timeline. So typically it's like a minute pitch and, you know, think on their toes with questions and there's just, a, there's a lot at stake here. So people are just putting their, their heart into it. So it's, it's, it's really incredible. So I think what we need to do, I'm, I'm sort of seeing a problem and a solution here that could be kind of unique. We need to match up esports with pitch mm-hmm. competition I could be like Pat Summerall up in the booth and you can be down on the field side, you know, like interviewing people. Um, maybe we're on to something. I think that'd be great. <laughs> no, but it, it's true because if you interviewed the the presenter, you know, the startup founders, like before they go on stage, after they go on stage, yeah, I think it'd be awesome. I think you'd, you know, after they walked out, they'd be like, I totally blanked. I meant to say this and that. It totally came out wrong. I can't believe it. Or wow, that was the best pitch I ever gave. Or I can't believe they asked me this question. I mean, it would it would be pretty pretty cool. I picture that like ABC Sports, the agony of defeat, and the guys <laughs> yeah. like tumbling down the right. ski jump. Like that was, uh, yeah. So I mean, in terms of great pitches, so you have a minute, and you have to try to get people excited about your vision. One thing that you certainly want to do, and this is just like so basic but it's so important is clearly state your company name and please, if you can wear a t-shirt with your company name on it, because a lot of pitch competitions, if, if they're run well, they're going to have your company name, your name, your Twitter handle, your email, something to help people reach you on a screen. But so let me stop you there. Most of these pitch competitions, not most of them, but this seems to be like a podcast now, like where anybody is having a pitch competition. Oh yeah. There's a whole business around pitch competitions. And that's another thing. Um, I'm kind of digressing away from like the point that I was trying to make, but yes, there are tons of pitch competitions now and you have to, as a startup founder and as a participant, take a look and see if it's actually worthwhile. Because sometimes the bar, I don't want to say is low, but it's lower for some pitch competitions. And we saw that at South By. Yeah, I attended a couple at South By that were definitely lower tier. Yeah, I mean, after going to, you know, the South By promoted um, pitch competitions, Techstar pitch competitions, there were some run by other organizations that were still at South By, but run by other organizations. And they just weren't put together as, as well. The participants weren't as prepared and it definitely was a different, a different tier. I felt like some of those guys just got a cue card saying, this is your company that you're going to talk about. Like as they were walking well, it, on it stage. Was just, yeah. Just, they just weren't as prepared and, and that's, that's okay. We all have to start somewhere. Right. Like that's okay. Well, and, but, and, and you and I are used to going to things like Techstars, going to things like Mass Challenge or Y Combinator events where, you know, that's, you know, there's demo days and, and pitches that are definitely at a different level than some of the stuff right. we saw at South by. So, so to go back to like, how do you, how do you do a great one minute pitch? So just for goodness sake, when you have an amazing pitch, just make sure people can find you. Right. Right. That Say your sense. company name wear a t-shirt, promote, promote, promote. And also when you're mingling after the presentation, they can find you from your t-shirt. It's a beautiful thing. Just keep it, keep it straightforward. So, okay. 
saying the company name, wearing the t-shirt. Now, talk about why it makes a difference. If you have a personal story or some kind of personal story that can stick in my head, for example, I had a friend who had this type of, of accident and what I've developed, my med tech solution fixes it. I saw it firsthand, the need and the impact. Doesn't have to be a long story, it can't. But that makes me realize and helps me remember because it's impactful, it's emotional, why? Why it matters, okay? So I know who you are. I know why it matters. Then tell me the opportunity. Tell me just high level how it could make some dollars and cents. Don't give me much for financial forecasts because they're, they're always wrong. And that's 100% okay. 100% of the time. Yeah, they're always wrong. Don't waste your minute on that. Just give me the opportunity and tell me what you need to get there next. What's the next milestone? Because in the audience, I'm sitting there being like, if I like this, I want to know who I can help. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And close by saying your company name slowly and clearly <laughs> and talk to me afterwards. So Melinda won a spelling bee at one point, apparently, because that's <laughs> how she, <laughs> she operates. You got to close the, strong. Say the word, spell the word, say the word and walk off confidently. The reason it works. No, I, I agree. And so my take on that is a little bit different in that I really focus on the flow of the story, right? And I really want to see, you know, here's the problem, the world problem today. This is the world view of the problem. Does the world know that there's a problem or not, right? Because that's important. And then here's how we're solving the problem. Here's how we are, you know, going to market. Here are all the things that we've done to really address the problem and some of the business as usual today, you know, and then you kind of get to, I don't even care about at a pitch competition. I don't really care about the, the dollars and cents. I care about how well spoken, you know, is the founder, how well can they articulate it? Does the story matter? And does the story, you know, flow? Because that stuff is what really matters to me in this day and age. The rest you can figure out. That's what pivots are for if it's not quite right. But if that initial story and the initial person telling the story is really struggling, that's that startup's probably going to struggle. So let's talk about the the person. Yeah. When, you know, so you say have a smooth story. So what is it about the person when you hear them talk that you start to be convinced that you you could potentially get behind this person and and be their cheerleader, cheer, investor, <laughs> any of the above? So great question. Um, what I usually look for is, you know, just, just that they're confident in how they're talking about it and that they've practiced, right? We saw, or in a couple pitch competitions that I went to that I don't think you were at, the, you know, there were many people that weren't practiced. It was clear. Right. And this is an opportunity to reach out to your investors, customers, maybe people that champion you. Right. So if you're not putting the time in and, and you can tell like there's a difference between nervousness. It's like interviewing somebody. Right. Yeah. 
when you interview somebody, you automatically think, okay, this person's in a situation where they're going to be nervous, right? Mm-hmm. So you factor that in. But if they're really nervous and, you know, huge pit stains, and by the way, I saw a cool shirt the other day that uh, makes pit stains go away. That's yeah. that's for a different... That's good. Yeah. But anyhow, you know, and, and is just stumbling over every word, like that's going to be a challenge because their low watermark is probably concerning at that point. So, you know, when I'm looking at someone up there pitching, I'm looking like, okay, I know they're nervous because that's already the case, but are they able to not sound like a a used car salesman, um, you know, and, and talk about the story that is believable, right? There was a one pitch that that comes to mind. It was during Mass Challenge, and one of the founders got up, and you and I were sitting pretty close to the front, and she was nailing it. She was just confident. She was delivering it really well. I mean, you could tell it was rehearsed and and it was polished, but it didn't feel robotic. I mean, she was she was just like totally on point, and then she froze. And, you know, being in the audience, I always, you know, maybe it's also because I'm a a yoga teacher, but I always, you know, try to like, you know, give people that good vibe, you know, just like, no, we're here with you. Like you can do it, you know? And for some reason she looked over and, and we made eye contact and I just kind of like gave her that nod of like, you got this, you know? And she started again, finished the pitch. And she actually came to me after the pitch and said, thank you so much. I saw you in the audience and it just made me comfortable. And I was so blown away because, you know, I think that's just something of all just like we're in this together in this whole like entrepreneurship thing of like helping each other. But that instance of nervousness, you know, it's like, it happens to the best of us when you freeze. And she basically said to me, look, I'm just exhausted. She's like, I've done this pitch a million times and I'm exhausted. And I just froze. I'm like, no, I, I totally get it. You know, we, we've all been there and that's why we, you know, we're all just like rooting for each other. And, you know, and, but you know, when that happens, it, it wasn't because she wasn't prepared, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in terms of the confidence factor, I, I certainly, it's so interesting to to draw that line between, um, you know, as you just said, like the the used car salesman, <laughs> like, you know, sham wow, look look at this new thing, and it's like you're gonna flap the shelves and you're gonna you gotta have it kind of thing, enthusiasm, versus um, this true like, excitement and heart about what they're about to do, and I really think it's just. For anyone presenting, there's a reason why you're doing what you're doing. Like you believe in it, right? So, so it's there. Just just express that. So, the other piece to this, right, is I when I'm looking at pitches, I definitely get really interested in the founders, and I really I want to see as many of the founders as possible because that really tells a pretty big story all to itself. And I'm a true believer in you invest in founders because ideas change, right? I mean, it's, it's awesome in this day and age to say that, 
you founded something and it's the same thing that you started with, you know, three years or five years down the road after a couple seeds or a couple funding rounds. That's not the case anymore because there's a lot of people chasing, you know, few good ideas and pivots happen. Well, and the landscape's changing so fast. I mean, we're we're in such a a, a rapid growth economy when it comes to what technology is is doing in terms of how it's changing the way we do business, opportunities for new new ways of of reaching consumers and developing new things. So, yeah, pivot is probably just part of your course in in starting a new company. So, yeah, I mean, you need the people who have basically that combination of a vision of just absolute grit when it comes to weathering the storm, hearing harsh feedback, being able to start again. And that right there is why when I see a pitch and somebody is just tripping all over themselves and they look like it's fearful to them to do that, that's that's a huge caution flag for me. And the product has to be and the idea has to be so much better at that point to overcome their pitch, their presentation, that that really is a, a major red flag for me. Yeah. And, and if there is a really fantastic idea and the pitch just comes off poorly, I've talked with some folks after, after the pitch and then have come to find out that, oh, my co-founder who usually does these pitches is sick today or had a scheduling conflict. And you find that you're talking actually to, you know, the guy who's, who's usually sitting by himself all day, right, writing the code and developing the product and he's not the front man. So, you know, sometimes it's good to just have that little chat and, and, and see, you know, why, why that is. But yeah, I think if, if, um, you can't as a founder pull it together under pressure, then that's just something you have to do on a day-to-day basis, even when you're not in front of people. Well, and let's, so. I, I want to talk more about that, right? Because my, my dad always used to tell me, you know, the, the whole adage of always treat the person at the front desk or the person cleaning the building like they might be the CEO because they very well might be. In a startup, if you're in a startup and there's less than, let's say, 100 people at the startup, Pretty much everybody at the startup should have a pretty good idea of what the pitch should be, what the elevator you know, conversation is. Whether it be the wallflower developer or the person you know, checking in the mail and, and guests at the front, every single person needs to know. And, and the closer you get to that boundary where the, you know, everybody in your organization can speak fluently, about what you do, that makes that whole excuse of, oh, well, the other person is the one that usually talks about it, right? This is your company. And if there's less than 100 people there, chances are you're really, really a critical person there. So you owe it to the company to really figure out the pitch and, you know, put that at the top of your list. I mean, writing code is important, but writing writing and reading that story and being able to talk about it intelligently uh, in your way is is more important. 
I think, yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And for anyone at a startup who that pitch doesn't come naturally for, uh, spend some time with the people who, who are good at it and do it day in, day out and get it mapped out. Part of what every company needs to do, and it doesn't matter how small you are, how big you are, how long you've been around, to have those very clear pitch talking points mapped out. So have the one-liner, what do we do? Have the 10-second pitch. Have the 30-second pitch. Have the three points of why you're valuable that always come through in a conversation. And if you have those things, that's enough that if you happen to meet somebody who could really, you know, change things for the company, someone who you want to have a follow-up conversation with, at least you don't miss that opportunity. At least you have enough to get their attention to say, hey, let me get you my card and, you know, we'll follow up. Yeah, that completely makes sense. I think that's great advice to someone new. Um, what I would say too is like, let's, let's shift gears a little bit, right? We've talked a lot about the people and the story. Let's talk about the tech a little bit. So in probably 70% of all of, and I'm just making that number up, but it feels about right. In 70% of all the different pitches that I saw at South by as well as CES and as well as probably just about everything in the last year, almost everything had, we're an AI company and we do blah, or we use deep machine learning to do X, Y, and Z. And that's like our product. Well, I think that was fine maybe two years ago, but now that has reached such a saturation point that digging in and getting a little deeper. And I, I hate to go back on my words. I think in episode two, you know, I, I got a little harsh on someone that was at an AI company and that was talking about, hey, you have to have a PhD and how how important and relevant your AI company is uh, really is relational to how many PhDs are at your company. Well, I don't believe in that, but I do believe in what is the the floor, right? And today with TensorFlow, with a number of these other, you know, AutoML, et cetera, it's really, really easy to have, you know, a machine learning strategy. It's also incredibly easy to have AI. I mean, companies like HubSpot or Salesforce or you name it are creating chatbots that are really easy to implement that do a lot of AI to give answers, right? And so that bar is incredibly low. So if you are saying that, hey, we use AI to, you know, answer questions or provide feedback or whatever, like the bar on that stuff has just, you know, really increased. And, and what I would say is a little bit of self-reflection. I started building a year ago, a product that had a bunch of AI in it. And after looking at it for about three months and I was building, I had other features and, and such, and the team was working on other pieces but I looked at it one day and said, you know what? This bar is going to quickly become commoditized and where I set the bar for some of our AI and machine learning routines. We need to move the bar way further ahead. So let's stop executing here 
and we need to look further ahead. So, you know, as a personal piece, I've been I've been burned by this as well, where AI is moving and machine learning is moving so fast that you really need to understand like where that bar needs to be to be solving the problem. Well, and it's just a distinction of if you're an AI company, you're an AI supplier versus an AI user. Right. So, so if you're a supplier, yeah, you, you need to, like you're saying, know where that bar is. But as, as any company right now, there's going to be some AI that you use. That, that's just where we are. I understand it, but when you're pitching and the bulk of your conversation is about, we have some revolutionary AI technology that answers your questions. Well, right. Did you build it? If you didn't build it, then that's really not something to hang your hat on. And the majority of these companies haven't built it, right? So, and, and that's okay, but most everything is going to be automated in some fashion. And so if you don't have an AI strategy, AI is a strategy. It's not necessarily a, a whole company unless if you're building something that doesn't exist today. When we think about these phrases like AI strategy, data strategy, analytic strategy, so forth. So it's like having a strategy for a tool. It's a tool. So it, it really doesn't make a difference unless it's part of your growth strategy. So how does data analytics, technology, AI fit into your growth strategy, right? It all works together. So while I certainly think it's, it's valuable that there are so many conversations happening now around how businesses can use AI, that's, that's great, it's, but, but don't, I guess, don't misplace the excitement and the, okay, I checked that box with, with just having an AI strategy because it, it needs to be much more holistic than that to actually do something for you. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, and, and one of the things I would say as well is companies using the term, we're the Uber of accounting or we're the Airbnb of, you know, food services or, or whatever. These companies are, you know, they're barely public themselves. Actually, in the case of Uber, they're not right. So they're still trying to get to a mile marker and you're comparing yourself to a company that has quite a bit of a leap on you. And if you think that your your definition of exactly what you are is the something of something you probably need to think about a little bit better pitch because i think it's it's important to differentiate yourself if an investor or the audience says to themselves hey so you guys are like the uber of something you take that as a form of flattery right but to tell other people hey that's that's what it is maybe you need to concentrate a little bit more on coming up with how you describe it so that you don't have to use another company's name to describe what exactly you're doing and what you're changing. So I have a little, a little bit of a different take on that. So I, I agree in that to just 
very plainly say we're the Uber of whatever our industry or that that could do you a disservice because it just might be just so overly generalized that it kind of makes your audience gloss over because they probably have heard that many times before. What I what I do think works really well, however, is in a, an investor presentation. I'm not talking one minute pitch here. I'm talking about an actual like presentation with a VC where you're you're talking, you know, presenting to them in hopes of of getting funding. That you start with relating what you do to known categories. Now, whether that's known business models. Uh, that you can compare, you know, like Tesla, we are employing, you know, a Kickstarter type of, of fundraising. We've already done X, Y, and Z. That is perfectly fine. That's relating it to an example they understand. If you say, for example, you know, because of the rise of the gig economy, you know, that's a nod to Uber. Okay, great. So you start to say, here's how we're like categories that you know, because as a VC or as any, any investor, you're trying to figure out where do these people fit into my world? Where do they fit into my portfolio? Where do they fit into my goals and what I want to invest in next? So they're trying to put you in categories. They're trying to figure it out really fast. Well, they're right? also trying to figure out, show me the money. Where's my three to five X return? But you know, of course. I'd really like 10 or 100. So when you're first likening yourself to the known world, right? You do that and then you say... And this is why we're totally different. And this is why we're blowing it up. Because we see things very differently and we do things very differently. And that's when somebody has that moment where they say, oh, I get it. Yeah. I get, I get why, you know, this is, this is relevant, you know? Right. No, I, I really, I like the way that you frame that because it's true. It's, it's saying, yeah, we are all of those things. We, we've latched on to the gig economy but wait, we see a problem with the gig economy. And so while we're just like Uber, we fixed a whole bunch of things that, and we saw problems they had and we solved those problems and here's how we're doing it. Much different story. Yeah. Right. And, and when you think of, you know, the, the risk on all sides of this equation, you know, when people call it the startup game and the you know, VC game, it is because, you, you know, quite honestly, well, no, I guess maybe the odds are better with investing in a startup than in a casino, <laughs> but it is, it is kind of a game. I mean, there's a lot that goes to it where you can make good bets, but you know, the percentage of, of startups that actually survive are really, really low. So, I mean, I have a, a few stats that I was just reading about the other day that over 15 years of looking back at companies who've been funded 10% of angel back deals ever get VC funding of those 60% fail to return the money raised. And of those that do return the money raised 30% return the cash one time and only 10% of portfolios make all the profit for VC funds. Yeah. So when you think about that, you know, yeah, when someone's giving you money, they're taking a huge leap of faith on you. Right. Well, and, and when you think back, I was sort of just getting into my, my career 
where I even knew about stocks and IPO and all that stuff, you know, back in the late nineties and the dot bomb happened, dot com bomb. And I was reading that previous to the dot com bomb, they were given out prefs or liquidation preferences of, you know, one X or whatever, meaning once they got up to the value they put in, then everything after that, the company made for profit on their liquidation event. Well, after that, 2000, 2001, the prefs went up to 10x in many cases, right? So basically means they were, you know, VCs were saying, hey, before you get a dollar, Mr. and Mrs. Founder, we're making 10. You know, we're getting 10x on our money. Um, And if we don't get 10x on our money, then you get nothing. If we get 9.9x on our money, you get nothing and we get 9.9x. So that's a risk factor, right? We're back down to normal ratios now where you know some VCs out of the kindness of their hearts might give you a one or, or two X. Uh, I've heard of threes, um, you know, kind of being at the top end, but I'm sure you could find higher as well. So not to go too far down the finance and the finance and the technical side, but well, I mean, it's it's important though when when you st- when you understand that because then it helps to have that insight as to why you need to address the things that you do when when you're looking for funding, uh, what a, an angel investor or a VC is is looking for, where they're coming from. It's all it's all really important, and also why it takes a lot of networking and a lot of courting, also. Um, to line up the right people, because it's not just a matter of of getting the dollars in the door. This is a, it's an endorsement. You know, who you have on your list of investors, that's a vote of support. And that list matters to whoever else is going to come on board and to the next round. Yeah, that, that absolutely makes sense. So, Shifting gears like towards the end of a, a pitch, right, or or something like that. Um, one of the things I like to see personally, and I get like a little leery about it, is when somebody's asking for the, and we're raising $2 million, you know, and, and we would like people that are going to help us raise $2 million. I mean, that's great that you're asking, but in that minute time frame, that's a pretty short time period to to be saying like, let's run down the third baseline together, right? Let's, let's, let's figure out how we, uh, how you invest in us. I think there's a lot more conversation and in that one minute specific to the one minute, there's probably better things that you could say, right? Which is, you know, our next bit of growth or our next challenge or the things that we're solving for next uh, would be scaling our product, coming up with three new features that further differentiate us from any competition whatsoever, growing into um, a sales force so that we can hit our sales goals and targets, um, adding more developers so that we can automate and, and be more efficient uh, with our test routines, etc. Those types of things are actionable a VC or someone interested uh, in talking to you is going to get that and they will be able to do the math themselves. They're pretty smart. Uh, And 
later on when you have more than a minute, you could talk all about all of the financing things that you need, right? Um, I think it's just impactful to say, here are the things we're working on. If you're interested in working with us, please come find me later. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and another thing that is is really interesting to me when I when I start working with with these new organizations and get to know these founders is you know we talked about that heart of and that passion of you know why they're putting so much at risk right I mean this is a risky endeavor why they're willing to work so hard for so little money if if anything. They're probably in the red actually because they're putting their own money into this this business. So, you know, why does it mean so much to them and and also how are they bringing that heart to the rest of the company? So, whenever someone comes on board, they're they know that and they know the why of why they're pushing so hard every day and one of the the events that that we went to and and supported and volunteered at at South by Southwest was the one percent event. So basically, it's a it's you know the the pledge that that we took with with our startups, and you know love to to share it. It's you you pledge one percent of your profits equity, time, and or product to charity. And this event was really fun because, well, we worked the door and (laughs) helped get people in and helped new people sign up and just, you know, spread the word about it. But um, it's really awesome to get that started early in your company because it does help to solidify that culture. Not only like why we do it for us with our vision, we're also giving something back. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's always hard later to carve out, you know, a percentage of equity or, or something like that uh, to give to charity. And I do think it's really important. And I, when I was talking to the companies um, that came to the 1% event, it was interesting because I looked at those companies in a different light because they were making that commitment they they obviously took time out of their day to you know attend that event and and to help get other people in it but i looked at it as culture is pretty tough to build these days because there's a lot of distraction with free snacks beer cart and all of that which are great by which, the way yeah no i'm, <laughs> I'm not knocking any of those things you know i, I will say we went to a partner that had uh, jars of Nutella uh, the other day. And I was like, boy, that's, that's pretty fancy. Um, But anyhow, I think it really puts people up in my mind that they're investing in uh, their community and externalities to their company that they really can't control, uh, but they're doing their best to, you know, give back. I think that's incredibly noble and awesome all to the same. And I know that, you know, when, when we share that with any new team member that we work with, it's always like, oh, wow, that's really cool. Yeah, I, I'm like, I'm into it. So, you know, it's, it's just part of like what motivates people, which is just so 
incredibly critical, especially, you know, in a kind of emerging, you know, company kind of environment. Yeah, I agree with you. Well, we're getting we're getting pretty close to 45 here, so let's let's wrap it up. I know we're going to talk a lot more about some of these startup aspects and uh, you know, a startup in 2019 and what that looks like in the tech space. So, you know, thank you. This is a great conversation. I'd, I'd love to talk more about this, but another time. Thanks. Talk to you then. Thanks so much for listening. Please like, subscribe, and share. And if you have a question or an idea that would be great for us to include on the next episode, we would love to hear from you. Just send us an email at hello at datamist.com. You can also send us a note on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook. And finally, want to give a big thanks to our sponsors, Infonomic Data and Uprise Partners. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll catch you next time.